Did you know your premature baby can communicate with you? How do you know if your toddler should be talking yet? Do you only young children develop a stutter? Why would a speech language pathologist work with an adult? I recently had the opportunity to talk with Jackie Gradnigo, a speech language pathologist in Louisiana, about her job as an SLP and how she works with babies in the NICU across the ages to seniors living in a care facility. Jackie's upbeat personality shines through as she shares about the work she loves, and I think you'll appreciate the information she shared. I'm Tonya Wallum, the host of the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast designed to encourage parents of young children with disabilities by offering interviews with individuals and organizations who understand the questions special needs parents might have. Now, here's the interview with Jackie. All right, so welcome back to the Water Prairie Chronicles. We have a special guest with us today. This is Jackie Gradnigo, and you may recognize the last name because we've featured both of her daughters on previous episodes. So if you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode 33 with her daughter, Kenya. Kenya shared her story of um, learning that she had narcolepsy when she was a young child and some of the lessons that she's learned through the time and what she's doing now. And then her daughter, Ariel, was on episode 40, and she was our first person to come on and talk about dyslexia. And she had a very interesting path with that as far as when she was diagnosed and some of the lessons that she's learned and proved doctors to be a little bit wrong on. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to both of those. Today, though, we're talking to Jackie about something totally different. She's an awesome mom, and I'd love to dig into that. But for sake of time today, we're going to talk more about her professional field. Um, so, Jackie, do you want to introduce yourself to us first before we go into the details of all of, of what you're doing? Yes. Good afternoon. Thank you, Tanya, for having me. I'm just so excited to be here. As you stated, my name is Jacqueline Shiloh Gradnigo, but I go by Jackie. Um, I am a certified and licensed speech-language pathologist. I practice here in um, Opelousas, located in St. Landry Parish, Louisiana, and I've been a SOP for um, approximately 26 years now, so a long time. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, as you stated, I have two wonderful daughters, Kenya and Ariel, and a, a grandbaby. And of course, I'm married to my husband. We've been married for 31 years. Um, so I really love what I do in, as an SLP. But um, just a little bit about myself. In addition to working as a speech-language pathologist, I also like to garden, which is a new hobby for me. So I, gardening. And um, in the past, I traveled the state um, of Louisiana with my daughters, Ariel and Kenya, as um pageant queens i was really big into pageants um and i don't i've retired from the pageant industry but i still coach um and and judge pageants i also was um a second lieutenant in the military intelligence in the army as a military intelligence officer so and in the national guard so just a little bit about myself so you're you're currently in the national guard is that what you said no not anymore i used to be i used to be in the national guard and i was um commissioned as a second lieutenant in um, United States Army as a military intelligence officer. So, yeah, but not That's, anymore. That sounds like an exciting career by itself. <laughs> Listen, I, I I always wanted to be in the Medical Service Corps, but when I got commissioned in military intelligence, I was upset, and I'll never forget, because I had this dream of, like, I want to work at Walter Reed. I want to work, and right. that was not the path, and I'm like, I talk too much. I can't keep secrets. I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it worked out well. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that side of personality <laughs> as far as being a talker and being an intelligence. <laughs> yeah, I keep secrets. I'm like, I don't yeah. Do that. But yeah. <laughs> 
So, Jackie, we're going to dig in a little bit here um, because I understand just a little bit of what an SLP does. And some of our listeners are just getting started with this. They have young children that are getting involved um, and they may not understand either. So we're going to pretend that none of us know anything here. (laughs) So can you just tell us exactly what is a speech and language pathologist? So a speech language pathologist is known as a communication expert to say. Um, so we take a lot of specialized training. We, we work with individuals from across the lifespan, actually from birth to death. Um, we evaluate and um, treat and diagnose individuals with a variety of communication disorders and swallowing disorders, depending on the area that you work in. And so when we talk about communication disorders, it's such a, a vast um, thing. So we work with people who have trouble with articulation and, and language and fluency, which is stuttering and voice. So, um, and then feeding and swallowing. So we kind of focus on the communication aspect of of, um, of that. So in a nutshell, that's what we do as a speech language pathologist. So I've I've heard of um, SLPs going into the NICU. Is that is that how early you would begin? Oh, yes. Um, there's those SLPs who specialize in the NICU. A lot of people think, okay, NICU, um, those babies are not even talking yet. But think about it. You know, communication is not just verbalizations, not just vocalizations. In the NICU, the SLPs, they can look at the body language of of babies. Even though they're not talking, they are communicating. There are ways to communicate without your voice. So there's body language, there's respirations, there's movement. So those are the things that SLPs in that setting look at to kind of help um, foster and see what's going on with that baby. It's usually for feeding and swallowing issues, but yes, NICU. So I, I hadn't even thought about that side of it. I was thinking like for swallowing or for um, just just motor control in the mouth, but um, but I hadn't thought about the communication side of it. So part of what they would be doing then would be helping the parent learn to understand the yes. signals. They would definitely have the parents learn the signals and not just the parents, um, other professionals in the side of NICU, they may not know. So if they're working on feeding and that baby respirations go up, hey, that's a signal. Or if that baby okay. posture changes, that's a signal. Um, so we have to look at communication, just not verbalizations, but just body language, especially at, in the NICU at that age level. Interesting. Yeah, I never, never yes. even thought of that. See, see, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot, a lot already on this one. Okay. From the, from the NICU to elementary school. So when a child is preschooler, are there, um, what, what are some of the reasons that a child would, would work with an SLP during that age group? So in the preschool years, it's, it depends on the child. So we have students that come in that have trouble with articulation, meaning that they're not able to produce sounds correctly. They may be saying sounds, but the parents are like, oh, I don't really understand what they're saying. Um, so that's a concern. So we can evaluate to see they actually have some sounds that they're not producing at that age. Also, if a student, a child is not following those little simple directions and commands, um, you know, it, it may be something that we can look into. So even at the preschool level, we work with those language skills, we work with those early speech skills um, in order to help foster that growth and development in relationship to speech and language skills. So the earlier, the better. Early intervention is key, it's, 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 it's the key. Yes, definitely. Now, when my daughter was 17, 18 months old, she was not um, using words that that were typical at that point you know she had just started saying just a couple little 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 sounds here and there and we knew she was visually impaired but um but it it was to the point where the doctor was a little bit concerned too 
But when we went in for an evaluation, they said that she wasn't delayed enough to to do anything. Is there a certain delay amount before a parent should be concerned? Because there's such a range of when kids develop different skills in those early years. I don't like to say a delay amount. My takeaway, I like to tell parents, when you're concerned, your concern is valid. I'd rather have a parent be concerned enough to talk to the pediatrician and find out, oh, nothing is wrong, as opposed to not doing anything. I don't believe in waiting. Why wait when there could potentially be a problem? So um, the good thing about the website we have now is that there was a lot of information on what we call developmental milestones. Now, we know that each child developed at different rates, but there are some developmental milestones that we kind of look at to see, okay, there may be a delay, but there may not be. So um, typically, for example, if a, if a child at the age of nine months is not babbling or not cooing or anything like that, that's a concern because um, okay. that should be doing it by, by six months. But if it's 12 months and they're not saying any words, then that's a concern. Um, if you have a newborn and they're not turning to sound or not starting, that's a concern. So I like to tell parents, if you are concerned as a parent, please voice those concerns. You know, you, you know your children better than what we do. So just I just want parents to just never be afraid to express those concerns. And we get a lot of that, especially our new moms. This is my first child. I don't know what's, what's right. normal. I don't know what's not normal. We get that so much. If it's a concern to you, it's a concern to me. Yeah. So we had that with, with Emily. Now, Emily was not even a year old, and I can remember her standing on the the pew in church, and she'd hear someone walking near her, and she would just start saying this little, hi, 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 hi. <laughs> but she was using that to figure out who it was, because when they would talk back to her, she would hear, you know, she wasn't able to see them as well, but she could hear their voices. And I, th I think that was just her early way of doing that. So she was communicating. She just wasn't using words as the other kids were. And and she, she caught up. It, it wasn't an issue. My son, though, at the same age, around 17, 18 months, had an entire caveman guttural language. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we knew he was tongue-tied. But at the time, no one, no one wanted to do anything about it. And I was getting mm -hmm. more concerned. So this is where you're talking about the moms pushing. And, um, and so I took him in to see the specialist and had Emily with me. And thankfully she was there with me because he watched their communication and he realized then there's no way he could wait till he was three years old, because which is what, what they had wanted to do was to wait until he was older. Mm -hmm. um, but he said he had already developed such a form of communication. He was going to have to undo all of that language yeah. learning and start all over again. You start over. So, yes. so they, you know, it was a simple little procedure just to, to clip his tongue. There was nothing, <laughs> nothing major going on, but, but he, he, he was born talking pretty much. He just had his own <laughs> way of talking. <laughs> you couldn't understand him. He knew exactly what he was saying. <laughs> oh, he, he knew exactly what he wanted to say exactly. and, and a very creative kid. He, he figured out how, how to communicate what he needed, but, um, but he was the one who ended up he was probably eight or nine, I think, before his R's came in. The frontal sounds mm -hmm. took took mm -hmm. a long time to come in. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of it was, even though he was only about 18 months old, there was a delay with that because he had he had found other ways to, to make those sounds. And yes. um, and it, it, it was a long time on that. <laughs> but yes. it was also um, working through dyslexia, too. So I think mm -hmm. there are a lot of pieces in play there for him for communication in general. 
Yeah, but speaking about, I remember my, I have a little brother. He is eight years younger than myself. And I remember my mom was really concerned. He was not talking. I mean, he would not talk. He didn't start talking to probably she was about five. And I remember her taking him to the doctors and, and they was like, well, we don't know. We don't think anything's wrong with him. Well, come to find out he didn't have a need to talk because he's the youngest out of six. <laughs> we did all the talking for him. He yep. didn't have a need. So he had a need and he started talking and now he's doesn't shut up. So still. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear that same story with the younger siblings who never crawled because everyone mm -hmm. always brought things to them. So they, exactly. they, they, they were, they were never encouraged to have to move very far. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, true. um, so your current job is an SOP. What age are you working with? Well, primarily my, my primary job, I work in, like I said, in St. Lancia Parish. So I see students from, we start at age three, um, and till they graduate 22. So that's my primary job, but I also have my own business, and in that I do early interventions. So I see them from birth to three. So I see <laughs> the okay. whole range, and then if my third job, <laughs> I do some, some, do some home health. So I see the geriatrics. So, but primarily I work with um, those students from three to age twenty-two in the school system. So the three-year-olds yeah. where where you live are they when they transition? out of the the home visits do they go to a public school or is there a certain center that they're going to what are they doing in yours so um at the three-year-olds they have an option of going to with the head starts um we do have some um early head start for three-year-olds uh, but they're still in the home environment but we do evaluate those um at our center and then we okay. provide services um so either if they're in a head start then the slp um works at the head start with that student if they are not in Head Start, then they'll go to the school that they're based at, their base school, for, and receive services. So does yeah. the does the public school system service the Head Start program? We do. Oh, okay. We do. Okay. I was thinking we they were separate separate beings altogether. We service the Head Start. We don't service the early, the early Head Start, but from the three-year-olds on up, we do service those, okay. those students. Yeah. yeah. I think I think most states have the home visits up until age three. Is that is that yes. federal? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And then um, we've we lived in two different states when my kids were still in the in the preschool age, and um, and they were serviced differently. One was in the local public elementary school, and I think that's what they do here in North Carolina. Um, but then when we went to Pennsylvania, it was a separate, just a to totally inclusive environment for them there. Okay. And um, so it was it was it was interesting kind of seeing how how each area is different on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the funding, I guess the way, the way the funding comes through is how, how they're able to kind of figure out how to, how, how to do it. So when you're not, not with the preschoolers, cause that's, that's a little different environment, but yeah. when you're with your elementary and older, do your, do your kids come to you to work with, or do you push into their classroom? What's the environment that's happening there? Well, right now I primarily do the assessments, but prior to me getting in this new job, we kind of did both. Mainly, I would see them um, in my speech room, but there have been times where I would actually do pushing in, in the classroom. A couple of years ago, the state of Louisiana adopted this initiative. It was called SALSA, Speech and Language Support for All. They don't do that anymore, but when they did that, we were encouraged to go in and into the classrooms and, and push in and provide therapy services with students in the classroom. So it really is based on the individual needs of that the students. You know, So sometimes right. it's in the classroom, sometimes it's out, or it could be a combination of, of both. Yeah, so um, it just kind of depends on the student and their needs. Um, so a parent would 
more than likely be working with an SLP when their child's in the public school setting. Is there ever a time that they would work in a private setting as well? Yes. Well, for our each district is different. So our district, we do have contracts with our private schools. Um, and so in our private schools here in our parish, we do go in and provide speech language therapy services um, to the private school children too. So yeah, it just depends on, on the district. So we have established a relationship with our private schools in our parish. So we service private school children as well. What would a parent who's homeschooling do? How would they access the need that the child may have? Well, so ho some of the homeschools, they do have SOPs um, that is on a part of their program. Um, and so if they do, then they can get in contact with an SLP, a part of that program. Um, usually okay. it could be through a private company, a private provider, and um, ask for services. Um, we do, we can provide um, evaluations um, for those homeschool um, kids, and it just depends. Yeah. Okay. I, I always wondered how, how a homeschool family gets connected with the services that the child may need. Um, we we opted to go through public school with our kids, so it was it was easy. We 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 had a, a pr pretty pretty easy path. Um, but I do know other other families choose other options, and um, and I want want to make sure that we're giving them the the keys of where they need to go to to get connected to. Oh yes, they can. They because I, I used to actually contract with a company, and I did some um, after hours um, therapy with homeschool students. So yes, up to okay. that company to um, contract with with therapists to, to provide those services. So, so it may be more through a, a therapy service instead. Yes, of, but okay. whoever that homeschool um, company is, they should let them know, you know, who to get in contact with to provide services. Right. Okay. What are some of the types of now? We have just speech delays that are going to happen with younger children, um, but what are some of the other types of diagnoses that would require an SLP to work with their child? So when we just talk about speech and language, within that speech component, that's the articulation. Um, if they're producing sounds, producing sounds correctly. Also, we work with the language component. Um, and when we look at the language, it's kind of two categories that we work with. The receptive language, what, what you're understanding is that child understanding what you're saying. And then there's expressive language. Is he using those words to, to communicate, to, to get his wants and needs known? So we look at speech, we look at language, we look at voice. We have some students have voice problems, they're hoarse, they may have vocal nodules. We also mm -hmm. look at fluency, those stutterers. We do have some stutterers, so we work with the kids that stutter. Um, and we do work with students that have problems with um, resonance, you know, so they may have clapped palates, you know, does it sound mm -hmm. right? So it's just, like I said, our scope of practice is, is, is vast, you know. Oh, so that's we, what I'm we, thinking. It, it, it is. It's very vast. So we, we do a lot. We do a lot. If you're if you're assigned to work with a student, how long would you typically remain on the child's IEP team? Um, that's an individual. It's based on the individual needs of the, the student. So IEPs in our parish, we uh, we update them every year. So every year the child, we have uh, another meeting to determine um, if their new goals need to be met. So it's hard to put a timeline on it because it's based on the needs of the student. If the child is still having issues that's affecting education performance, then we stay on it, on it until he's no longer having a problem. So um, some students may go for a year, some they can go for years. It's just, the, it's really an individual, when they say individualized, that's exactly right. what it is. It just depends on the needs of the student. Well, you had mentioned that, that you work through, in the, in the school system through 22, when, when they yes. would, they would graduate. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I guess you would have some come in with you when they're young and stay with you all the way through. Yes. Our goal is to get them out, but some students, yeah. we just, <laughs> you know, some of them take a little bit longer and, you right. know. <laughs> well, it's one of those, those jobs where your goal is, is to work yourself out, out of a job, right? Exactly. <laughs> is there a situation where a parent might want to come in and request that you be part of the IEP team or at least the evaluation before the school might recommend that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times, um, the parents, you're the advocate for your children. So in our parish, they have what they call school building level committees. And so the parents actually bring their concerns to the teachers to, and to the committee before the SLP is even involved. And okay. so they get together and they have a meeting and they discuss those concerns. And then from there, they say, okay, well, let's get our SLP involved. And um, the SLP goes in. And you might even need a, what we call a 15-0 eval. There's opportunities for us to do what we call interventions. Um, and we work with those kids in a setting, just like a child that's on an IEP, but we're providing intervention services, response to intervention. And we work with those children to see if they really need a 15-0 evaluation. Some kids need to move on and some kids, they don't. We just show them what they need to do and those interventions stop and they can carry on like that. So, yes, um, a lot of times our parents have come in and even if we're not on an IEP, we can sit in to provide um, some expertise on what's going on. So, yeah, it does happen. So, so in that case, a parent would approach their school system first um, and request an evaluation? Yeah, so in our so each each state is different. So I'm let me right. put a disclaimer. Right. Each state is different. So in our state of Louisiana, um, normally in our parish they will go into the school system first and ask for um just to to express their concerns through our school building level committee. And from there, then they will get with the SLP to um look at that the child and to okay. see if um if they need to move further with an evaluation. And I, I think I think that's pretty consistent um, from the states that, that I've been involved with as well, where you would have the IEP team meeting um, even even before a child's even on an IEP, but just the team meeting to determine eligibility. Yes. Um, and during that time, you would talk through what your concerns were. And, um, and I always want to encourage our parents, so parents that are listening, um, anytime, as she's telling you, and you've heard this with other interviews that we've had, if you if you have a concern, bring up the concern because you're yes. seeing something you're seeing your child throughout the day and night you know the typical behaviors but um but you're you're going to pick up on things sometimes before a teacher that may just be with your child for a couple of hours would and they're seeing them in a group setting and not in the one-on-one -on -one. so um so it's it's never wrong to ask questions and in in, in, in my opinion at least it's it's always no. it's always good to ask you're right. And we've even had parents who went as far as of having videos of their children, which is which is great. Oh, because like yeah. You said, oh, yeah. We, you know, they have this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. Now, granted, for eligibility in the school system, it has to have an educational impact. Right. But it's good to see what is going on. So it gives us a, a, a general picture of what's going on, you know, at, at home. Um, yeah, because a lot of parents, they don't really know how to express it. But if we see it, you know, then, okay, this is what you're talking about. You know, they may not have the terminology to use, but when we see that video, then we have a, a clearer picture. So there's nothing wrong with right. videoing and, you know. I, I never thought you, of that. It's, it's, yeah. it's a great idea. Yes, definitely. Well, and you're right, because then, then they're not, I, I know with my kids, if they were being evaluated, they always were on their best behavior. 
And so, exactly. So, so it may not have been a true indication That's of right. what, what's happening. Yes. For older students and adults, so you talked about working with students till they're 22, and then in your private work, mm -hmm. you're working all the way, all the way through, through, through yeah. life at all stages. <laughs> um, so, when are some situations for? Are there like certain milestones in life where you see that there's more likelihood that there might be a need for speech and language problems that are coming up and needing to get some extra help? Well, for our older students, um, you know, sometimes our students, unfortunately, they go through accidents. We've been having a lot of students with um, traumatic brain injuries. So prior to that, they didn't, they didn't need our services. But after that, then right. even as a, um, an older student, they come in and um, with, you know, with traumatic brain injuries, we're coming in and provide that support that they need. Also, in a community-based setting, our adults um stroke victims um we oh, have right. those patients that have had a stroke and so now they need the services of an slp or just in the general aging um our geriatric patients now they're having trouble swallowing you know we're from the south and everybody wants to eat everything you can't eat like you used to you're choking on your gumbo and you, you know you can't eat crawfish like you want used to and you know so now you know i need an slp so we go in and evaluate those swallowing skills for for our patients um we evaluate language skills for those who have strokes. Um, also, those kids who um, onset of stuttering, for example, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of kids, they start stuttering at a later age. Um, and we, we have to provide those supports to those students as well. So, yeah. yeah, like we tell parents, you know, we don't cure stuttering. We just try to give you the tools to kind of to work through that. And um, right. even as adults, you know, and sometimes our kids, they don't. They don't even recognize they have a problem. You know, they they think their speech is fine. You know, but no, you're stuttering, and they don't really know. They, you know, so we just try to give them the tools that they need to um, be able to be effective communicators, even no matter what age you are. You know, so there's always opportunity to learn and grow. So that was a question yeah. I was going to ask. My, my next one on the list was: Is it possible possible for older students and adults to learn new skills? So you just answered that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was yes, that was perfect. <laughs> yes. So Jackie, I, I appreciate you giving us some more um, input on this. This this has been educational for me, and I'm hoping that our parents that are listening have, have learned a little bit more. And if they've had concerns and were afraid to say something, maybe they'll be a little more likely to go in and ask for some some help. Just ask for some questions for their kids so that they can can go on to, to, the, to their next major milestone in life. Oh, yes. Never be afraid to ask. Ask, ask, ask. So if, speaking of asking, if any of our parents have questions that they want to ask you directly after hearing this, what's the best way that they could contact you? They can contact me via email. Are you on social media anywhere? I am just a just Facebook um, private page, uh, well, my okay. personal page. But I don't mind asking questions. I, I get questions asked all the time um, on Facebook. I, I, I'm one of those people I love answering questions. Uh, I keep saying once I retire, I'm going to be an advocate. <laughs> you still see me in the school system, but just in a different role. <laughs> right. But yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, just hit me up on, on Facebook, um, direct message me. Yeah. All right. So it is time now for our speed round. Have, have you listened to, to the girls' interviews to know what it is? I did. I did. All right. So, so you, you, you have a little insight here to, to know what I'm going to ask you then. <laughs> so for those of you that are listening, if you have not listened to an episode before, the speed round is a list of 10 questions. They're very easy questions that have absolutely nothing to do with the interview at all. But it's a way for us to connect each other together and to, um, to show how, how we're a lot alike in a lot of ways. 
and um, and honestly, it started out just for fun, and that's that's what it's all about. So the idea here is to have fun with it. If you um, if you don't have a, an answer for it, you can say pass or both on the choices that we have. The first three questions are open ended. I'm going to give her three three short questions. She'll answer those, and then the last seven are either or. I'll give her uh, two two words or two phrases, and she'll choose one or the other. Um, and it's it's the most fun if it's the first thing that comes to mind because then everybody <laughs> realizes, wait, I, I normally would not have even answered that. <laughs> so, are you ready? I'm ready. She's ready and raring to go. So, the first question: What's your favorite color? Red. And what's the last book that you read? Gonna lay down my burdens. Mary Monroe. And what's your favorite holiday? Easter. Easter. I think I've only had one Easter before. Thank, thank you for being original on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So either or questions. So the first one, cake or ice cream? Both. Both. Together. <laughs> they, cake they, they, ice cream. they have to go together. You're right. <laughs> Bat, Batman or Superman? Superman. Ocean or mountains? Ocean. Winter or summer? Summer. Watch a movie or read a book? Read a book. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. And Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. Oh, you chose one. Because <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. have Facebook. I, I figured you'd say neither. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, thank thank you for coming on today. We appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us, and um, and I I really have learned a lot, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me, and you know, just I'm so glad you're doing this. Your podcast is awesome, and I hope just people continue to listen and gain the knowledge that they need. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you found value today, leave us a review on iTunes to help other families find the podcast. We love to connect with our viewers and read every comment that is posted on our YouTube videos and on Instagram at water.prairie. This podcast is made possible by support from our listeners. If you want to help offset the cost of producing the Water Prairie Chronicles, become a supporter at buymeacoffee.com slash waterprairie. Another way you can support this channel is to use any of our links to Amazon products before shopping on Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we might receive a small commission for products purchased after using our links, but the cost to you does not change. Check out the links in the description for some suggestions we have for gift ideas. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week for a new episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles.